and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, everybody, turn in your Bibles to the book of James. Turn your Bible to the book of James, and I think we will have some more come squeaking in here, but I'm going to go ahead and start. So... There was a famous naturalist who was walking along a busy downtown New York City road. When he stopped, uh, and his, he stopped next to his friend and he asked, well, hey, did you hear that cricket just now? And his friend laughed and said, are you kidding? How could you possibly have heard a cricket with all the noise and traffic that's around us? And uh, the naturalist thought for a moment and said, well, I suppose you hear what you've been trained to hear. They walked along some more, and then the naturalist said, let me prove something to you. Hello there. Uh, so he took out a quarter, and he dropped it on the sidewalk, and instantly people turned and looked. That was a sound they had been trained to hear, and so the naturalist laughed and joked with his friend. I said, I guess you have to be trained to hear what you hear. I heard a cricket. They heard a quarter, and uh, that is such a good point. And uh, we're going to go ahead and keep going here. We're in the book of James, chapter 1. Obviously, people are going to come on in. Come on in, you guys, and get settled where you're going. And good to see everybody that's here tonight. So we're in James, chapter 1. But that little story made me think of what Pastor James has been teaching his people about in the book of James. He wanted to, his people to be able to hear God speaking and follow his leading in a world where it's easy to get distracted by other voices. In fact, it just happened just now, didn't it? You know, I'm speaking and we got distractions and that's fine because that's the way it is right now, but we're so glad for things meeting up again and going, which is great. So, to recap what we've done so far, our first message was trust amidst trials, where Pastor James said you need to think differently about the things you're struggling with. You need to pray fervently about what you're thinking about. Trust confidently, trust God confidently about what you're praying about. So that was the trust amidst trials. And then we saw that uh, heaven is for God lovers. Uh, in verse 12, he gives a great promise. The crown of life rewards coming for those who love, whose love for God shows as they endure the trials that they're experiencing. And then last week we looked at the reason temptation defeats you. Temptation turns into sin when you let it get through the gates of your mind and you start stewing on it and you start turning that thoughts into sinful thoughts that turn into sinful actions that mess up a lot of things in your life. He explicitly said in verse 13 that God does not tempt anyone to sin. But today we're going to look at what God in His Word does do for us. So God doesn't tempt us to sin, but today we're going to look at what God does for us and how He wants to bless His children. So James chapter 1, going to read verses 16 down through verse 25. James says, Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren, brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
That's such a key verse. In fact, that's one of the key verses to understanding, especially James chapter 2 when he begins that discussion about faith and works. Verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man, let every woman be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of God, the wrath of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. If you've got the King James, it says superfluity of naughtiness. One of my favorite uh, things that it says in that way. The overflow of wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, I love that, the Bible called the law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he or she does. All right. God wants to bless His children. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the Word of God. Thank You for James chapter 1. As we look into this, we pray that You'd guide us and lead us, Lord, and we pray that each of us will understand the ways You've already blessed us and the way You can bless, bless us if we trust You and obey You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, verses 16 through 19, God gives good and perfect gifts, especially salvation. So if you're filling in the blanks, that's your first one to fill in, especially salvation. Look at verse 16. He says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Several times James just stops and says, I love you. Isn't it good when somebody you know says, I love you? And James every once in a while says, church, I love you. I'm not getting to see you. I'm writing you this letter. You're my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived, those that I love. That's every pastor's heart, that his beloved people won't be deceived and their lives torn up by all the lying voices of the world by giving in to those, but instead will be built up in God's love and word. Verse 17. And, and you've got to love James because so many of these verses you could just pull out, put on a 3 by 5 card and memorize and go one after the other. James has, is, it would be an incredible book for you just to memorize related to practical, uh, the practical things of the faith. Every good and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above. If it's a good gift, it's from above. If it's a perfect gift, it's from above. From the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So, God does not tempt us, but He does give us the good and perfect gifts we need to make it through this life which is pretty cool. I love how he refers to the Father of Lights. That's really, I think, the only place in Scripture God has called that. And when we think of the Father of Lights, he's saying God is the Father of the, uh, of the sun, the moon, the stars that we see. He's the source of all light, physical, intellectual, moral, spiritual, and he does not change. Notice he says, uh, this play that he's doing here on words, the Father of Lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. With the stars, the way that we see them, they appear to be, keep on moving, right? We're, we're moving, they're moving, the sun's moving, we don't, now we know it's all moving and stuff. From earth looking up, we see different phases of the moon. Um, every month things change as the month goes along. From the sun, we think of the sun rise, we think of the sun set, we think of the blazing noonday sun. Depending on when you look at it, it's a changing situation. 
And when we think about, uh, you know, all those different things, the sun, the moon, the stars, from man's perspective, they've got different phases of movement, rotation, change from day to night, vary in intensity and shadows cast. And that's, James is contrasting God who does not change with the ideas of men and women who do change. Come on in, everybody. All right. Janet, you're looking good. <laughs> All right. So it's the second door that gets to the, where the youth are, if you go into the, where the youth are. And, what's that? What? All right. Hello. Nice to see you guys tonight. Come on in. Awesome. We're in James chapter 1, having the Bible study before we spend some time in prayer. So nice to have you all here with us tonight. And um, so, for the world's man-made religions, changes are constantly made, right? Uh, you think about... Uh, uh, you know, Mormonism, that uh, they've got a living director of the Mormon church, and every few years he makes different decrees about things. I was talking to a Mormon a few months ago, and he was mad that the uh, current guy that is the president of the church had taken the name Mormon out of things. Uh, and he said, you know, before he was president and became so-called enlightened, he wanted to do that years and years ago, and now that he is president, he's made that change. Well, it's changed, you know. Um, and so, but the Father, God, does not change. The truth of the Word of God does not change. So he's contrasting uh, the changing things of man's ideas and man's religions. And you know, uh, what a tremendous thing he was emphasizing related to their particular context because of all the Greek gods, the Roman gods. The gods would, the gods and the demigods, they would come to earth in their mythology and they'd mess with people, right? And he said, hey, God's not going to tempt you. God's not going to mess with you. You can count on God. He's the Father of lights. There's no changing with him. What he has said, he says, and he loves you. He doesn't tempt anyone. He's not the author of confusion. When God's behind something, it will be clear, and you will have peace even if obeying is hard. So there are note sheets over there, Jan, if you want to grab one for everybody on your table, and the prayer list too. So... Uh, so our God blesses His children with good and perfect gifts, like verse uh, uh, 17 says there, every good and perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, who does not change, which is awesome. So the greatest gift He gives is salvation, and that's where verse, eight, where verse 18 comes back in. Let's look again at verse 18. Of His own will... God brought us forth by the word of truth, by the holy word, the gospel message, the Bible, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, verse 18, you guys, is absolutely key to understanding what James is going to say in chapter 2 about faith and works. He's going to say that faith without works is dead. And, he's, and some people think, okay, is James promoting some kind of human-based salvation there? You've got to work for your salvation. And the answer is absolutely not. Because back up in chapter 1, verse 18, he said, the only reason any of you are saved is God's grace. You received his salvation as a gift. He gives good and perfect gifts. The most perfect gift is the gift of salvation. He came to you and you received that gift. And so everything he says about faith and works comes after he's already said the only reason anybody's saved is really attributed to God as the number one cause. So it is a clear description that God is ultimately the cause of our new birth salvation experience by means of the gospel message. Of his own will, he borned you again. He brought you forth by the word of his truth that you might be, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Charles Ryrie said it like this. God's will or purpose is the cause of our regeneration. That's just a big word that means new birth by means of the gospel message there. 
Um, now, what, think about this. Verse 15, what did he say that sin brings forth? Sin brings forth death. What does God bring forth? Life. So just in a few verses there, he's contrasted what Satan's the author of, death. Sin brings forth death. And what God's the author of, God's the author of life. So, you know, we're tempted to sin. We give in. It brings forth death in the areas that are, that sin affects. But God wants life for us. And he's so, it's so precious that way. Um, John 1, 12 and 13. Let's think about this because it agrees with verse 18 here. It says, but as many as received Jesus, one of the great promises of the Bible, as many as received Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so He says there's three things that aren't responsible for us becoming believers. And then there is God who is responsible, right? Born not of blood means no one is a Christian because their parents were a Christian, right? Now, you get some things by the nature of whose blood you share. You can get an inheritance, right? But you can't inherit salvation from your parents. Every generation has to decide. God has children, not grandchildren, so to speak, right? And so when you accept the same Jesus that your parents may have accepted, right? You become brothers with your parents, even though your parents, they're your parents, right? So God doesn't have grandchildren like that. He has children. Each generation has to decide. No one is born again of blood uh, because you can't inherit from your parents. You can learn a lot from your parents. Your parents can lead you towards salvation, but each generation has to make that decision. That's why we are believers in believer's baptism by immersion. You know, uh, some church backgrounds, they follow the Roman Catholic Church and this infant is sprinkled. But it's very clear that you have to believe and be baptized. And a child can gladly receive a bottle of milk, an infant can gladly receive a bottle of milk, but not the knowledge that they need Jesus, right? And so when you believe, you present yourself to the Lord and believer's baptism happens as a child, as a youth, as an adult comes to understand that they need to give their heart and life to Christ too. Born not of flesh, what does that mean? Give me a guess on what born not of flesh means. Flesh oftentimes represents works in the scripture, right? So you're not saved because your parents brought you into this thing. You have to make, you have to decide for yourself. Parents can influence you, but you've got to make your own decision. You've got to stand on your own before the Lord. You're also not born of flesh. You can't do a checklist of things and earn your salvation. So you're not born again because of inheritance from your parents' blood. You're not born again because of flesh. And then he says you're also not born again uh, by the will of man. So that means we were not naturally seeking God. As a 17-year-old, when I became a Christian, I wasn't seeking God. I was hoping that life would work out for me. I was hoping my ship would come in, so to speak. I was looking for love in all the wrong places, but I wasn't looking for God. I called myself an atheist, and really, uh, all of a sudden, boom, I heard the gospel. I was being drawn by a force I didn't understand. God, the Holy Spirit, was drawing me. To, and I, I came to understand I was a sinner, and in a short time, me who said I hated God and blamed God for a lot of things, even though I didn't believe in Him, like atheists do, all of a sudden, uh, I was a Christian. Um, and it happened so fast. It happened so fast when God broke those barriers down. 
Um, Oliver Green said it like this, if man had been left to follow his own will, we would all be in hell or on, our way, on the way to hell. Natural man never has been willing to follow God. So God has to take the initiative, and thank God He does. He, in lots of ways, is trying to get our attention. His Holy Spirit is bringing us. And I, when I first became a Christian, I thought, senior in high school, I thought, man, nobody's ever shared this with me before. But as the next five or six years passed, I was able to identify at least three or four times where somebody had been trying to share the good news of salvation with me, and I'd completely missed it because it was so far off my radar in the will of Dan, right? The will of man. Not of, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but the will of God. God is relentlessly pursuing folks, and He always is the first cause when people turn to Christ. James and Paul were on the exact same page with this as God initiates salvation by His grace. Man responds by faith and receives salvation as a gift, and goes on, man goes on to produce good works for God by faith. The works don't save, the faith leads to bearing fruit for the Lord or doing good works. Turn to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And you see this same thing said there by Paul, and it's got all these elements talking about the good gift of God, talking about His grace, talking about faith, talking about works in that order, right? God wants to bless people. His Holy Spirit's working. The message of grace comes to a believer. They hear things, uh, to a person, uh, comes to a person, a sinner. They hear the word of God. They believe. They respond in faith. And then they go on to bear fruit. I like the fruit. For bearing fruit and doing good works is the exact same thing. And I like bearing fruit because we understand that if a tree doesn't have the right roots, there's no fruit, right? And so if you're not rooted in Jesus, there's not going to be any fruit for Jesus. You have faith in Him, works follow, good deeds follow. For by grace, Ephesians 2.8 says, you have been saved through what? Faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. There's that gift language again, just like James 1. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word for workmanship there is the Greek word poema, and it means poem. You hear poem in there? It means masterpiece. If pa Pablo Picasso had done a painting, and it hanged, if it hung behind me and it was only half finished, they'd still call it a masterpiece because he was a master, right? Pablo Picasso, we could sell that thing for a whole lot of money. It's a masterpiece. And when Jesus started His work in your life, you became a masterpiece, one worked on by the Master, and He promises in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you, He initiates, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it even until the day of Christ, which is pretty cool, right? So there's a lot of grace that's in there, and a lot of us following the Lord by faith because we understand this wonderful gift we've been given. Okay, so now uh, these first Christians had been part of the Jerusalem church. That's who James had written to. Persecution meant they'd been cast out to their home areas. They had to go back to all the cultural places they were from, and they took the Lord with them there. So they would have loved getting a letter from Pastor James. A couple weeks ago we talked about how when a person becomes a refugee, it's often 20 years before they get resettled. We don't know how long it was for these folks but there was a lot of difficulties for them that they were facing, and he wants to give them pastoral guidance as they go through this very hard time. 
We've had a good number of our church folks come back to church. Some haven't been able to yet. Some are just watching online. And, um, you know, it, it feels like we're disconnected and scattered, like James is talking about, right, into scattered people, right? And uh, so, um, and that might be our reality for a little longer yet. For them, it was probably a multi-year reality. Um, and Pastor James is very concerned that they'll realize they've been blessed for what reason? Why does God bless people? To be a blessing, right? Why did God bless Abraham? Abraham, I blessed you so that in you all the nations of the earth would be blessed through you and your seed, right? So God blessed the Jewish nation to be a model nation applying God's law and people saying, hey, we ought to do things like that. We ought to have a place with no prisons in the country like Israel had. You know, how do they get away with that? Well, the law explains, right? And, uh, and, and for Christians, uh, we've been blessed to be a blessing. God puts us in all places around the world to bless others in the name of the Lord. So look at the verse 18, that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So He's given you this gift of salvation so that we might be a first fruits of His creatures. Now, who does the New Testament say that the first first fruits was? Jesus Himself, right? 1 Corinthians 15 says, Jesus has risen from the dead and He's the first fruits of all those who are subsequently going to rise from the dead. So the Jewish festivals. The festival um, that they had related to Jesus' work on the cross was Passover. And then they had, um, 50 days later, they would have Pentecost, right? So it was Passover, unleavened bread, and um, the, uh, uh, what was the resurrection festival right there? Do you remember? I, I'm, well, the Feast of Weeks is Pentecost. That's 50 days later. Anyway, um, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was the first fruits, right? And what they would do is they would have two different first fruits type festivals. They would have the one that was, uh, so think about it, Passover, unleavened bread on the third day. Uh, they would have that festival that I'm not remembering the name of right now, unfortunately. Um, and Jesus rose on that. So he died for our sins on Passover. He was our Passover sacrifice. Unleavened bread meant he didn't decay in the ground. The one on the third day there, that one of you is going to help me remember in a minute here, um, was represented Christ rising from the dead, the first fruits of, who, of all that would rise. Fifty days later, when they had Pentecost, that was also a celebration of the spring harvest that would represent all the other harvest that was to come, right? So the early one, the 50-day-later one, and so we are called here the first fruits of His creatures. In other words, G James was telling his scattered church, you were among the first to believe for a reason, Right? He's saved you for a reason. You've been blessed to be a blessing. And um, they were largely from a Jewish background. This was the guarantee of a fuller harvest of believers to come. So just as his, uh, Jesus and the apostles inspired them, their perseverance was meant to inspire others. Right? So do you get that? He's writing to them, they're scattered. He said, it's critical that while you're scattered and you're thinking a lot about yourselves these days and your needs, that you continue to honor and serve and love Jesus because as you do that, others are going to see that and you're going to be the first fruits, the example for all the other harvest that's yet to come, right? So it's pretty cool. 
um, he's been chipping away at them to not having, have left their faith in Jerusalem and wait months and years later till they return to a serving God mindset. He wants them to serve God in the midst of their troubles. Okay, so what a privilege those first Christians had to be an example for others to follow. I was the first fruits for Christ in my family, the very first one to trust Christ. And uh, after I trusted Christ, I, uh, my dad was really upset at first. You know, he'd made a profession of faith in a Billy Graham crusade, and he was really hard on me at first, but he saw the change in my life, and four months later, he became a Christian. And so did my younger sister, the one that turned into a missionary, and my younger brother. Uh, and um, so God saved me, and since I was different, they wanted in, right? And God may do that through you and your family. Sometimes he does that, a child gets saved, and all the family members want what the child's got. Sometimes dad gets saved, and all of a sudden leads the whole family into church, right? Sometimes it's mama, and daddy comes, and the others come too. But there's always a first fruit, some way that somebody goes first and everybody or many others follow. Not everybody in my family has become a Christian, you know, but I was the first fruits of those that did, and you might be that for your family. These folks were the first fruits of all that were going to come after that. James and Galatians are just about tied for the earliest letter that was written. This is one of the very earliest letters of the New Testament time. Okay, so... Uh, now, we want to tie verse 19 to that because if we're going to be first fruits, we've got to seriously apply the Word of God, right? And that's what, how this whole passage ties together, even though it's nine or ten verses together. Look again at verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man or woman be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Oh, if I could say there's one verse that we all need to take away for this tonight, particularly if you've been talking to anybody about your opinions during this time where opinions are out there big time, right? Man, if you've been posting online things, if you've been tweeting, uh, you know, tweeting gets people into a lot of trouble all the way up to the man in the White House, uh, Tweets before you think that you have to later apologize for. Um, uh, opinions this way and that way. All the different things. James 1.19 says, Be swift to do what? Hear. Be slow to speak, slow to tweet, slow to, slow to post, slow to wrath, slow to express anger, right? For my anger does not produce godly results. If you could look at the verse, rest of verse 20, right? The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sometime we ought to have Rich give us a, a clinic in how to respond patiently, right? Because he does that for the police department, and he's got to really think about what he says because everybody's ringing and watching those words and stuff. James wants all believers to think before they speak and not to get angry before, not to respond before you process your anger, right? Um, when we blame God and others for our troubles, we're at, apt to act in the flesh, and nothing good comes during that time, right? Paul said, no good thing lives in my flesh, and if we don't process and think before we get our words out there and our posts and tweets out there, we can do a lot of damage. Um, but if we do what Pastor James says here, it will lead to better responses. M might be the most applicable verse for tonight, for right now, for the whole year 2020 with all that's going on. Okay, so 
God wants to bless His children, and He has every good and perfect gift. If you're saved, you've been blessed beyond measure. You're going to heaven when you die. Uh, no blessing's going to beat that in your life. Um, and by the way, if you're not sure that you have peace with God, see me right after this. I'll stand six feet apart from you and help you receive Jesus, right? Um, but then the second section here, verses 21 to 25, the key to God's blessing is to lay aside sin and take up God's word. Look at verse 21. Therefore, because you've been blessed by God, you've got this great gift of salvation, lay aside all filthiness in your life. You've got some filthiness in your life, lay it aside. And the overflow of wickedness. Again, I love that King James there. Superfluity of naughtiness. And receive, instead of bringing this stuff in, get that stuff out, flush it out, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All right, look at that great group there going up to play uh, sports up in the gym. <laughs> All right. Um, bless you. Um, so... What does the word implanted mean? The word implanted means permanently placed within. Permanently placed within. When we were born again by faith in Jesus, God the Holy Spirit did what? He went from being around us, drawing us to Christ, to entering us. Not just around us, drawing us, but within us too. And I remember December 16th, 1984, when I became a born-again Christian, when I uh, uh, turned my life over to the Lord and, and, and felt His salvation, all of a sudden, and some of you had the same example experience, the stars looked a little brighter. Um, there was just peace there, right? God's presence was there. And I felt connected in a way that I always had felt disconnected before. So in a room this size... The, Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus inside me resonates with the Spirit of Jesus inside Roger as we talk in fellowship, right? And that happens. And that happens throughout the room as we look at the Word of God together. If you don't know Jesus, you're like, what am I missing here? Until I was 17, I was a what am I missing kind of person, you know? And then when I, you know, uh, I felt like that when I heard the gospel was with church and all these people smiling and happy and joyful. And then all of a sudden, when I was saved, I was like, now I get it, right? The Word's implanted. God is inside. Uh, he took up residence in our hearts. He makes the Bible work in us from the inside out. Because one of His ministry job descriptions of the Holy Spirit is to take the words that we're reading and, and take those into our hearts and make them be part of our lives. And when He does that, when you receive that in the right way, you never get over that. So the first time that happened for me was the, the verse in Philippians that says, do everything without arguing or complaining. And when Campbells get together, we argue and complain about everything. Now, that's been 30 years now. But I still, every time I start to argue or complain, that comes right in. Uh, you, you can't have a really good argument with me because sometime in there I'm going to say, wait a second, this is beyond what either of us really knows to just arguing now. And you want to win more than you uh, want to be right. And, and um, so I'm, I'm just getting off the train here. Do everything without arguing or complaining, right? And that verse still comes in. It got implanted in there. So scripture memory is a key part of your arsenal for fighting uh, the sins in your life and for growing in your faith because you get those verses in there right, they don't come back out. You'll be spouting them in the nursing home when you're older. Uh, you know, put the right things in so you don't spout the wrong things when you can't help yourself anymore, right? Um, Okay, well, let's think about this a little bit, you guys. Um, it says, uh, 
Lay, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let me just say this about the word save. It definitely can mean our eternal salvation, right? We can use save to mean salvation. But it's also a little bit of a stretchy Greek word. And so uh, let me remind you guys of the tenses of salvation, right? There's three tenses to salvation. For some of you, this is going to be what you needed to hear tonight. Romans 6.22 says... Now, having been set free from sin, that's the past tense, you've become servants of God, and you have your fruit to holiness. You're, you're holy now. You're trying to be holy now. That's the present tense. And the end is eternal life. That's the future tense. So, when you turn to Jesus in faith, when you understand you're a sinner, you turn to Him in faith, that's salvation in the past tense. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because sometimes when you're reading in the New Testament, it says you have been saved. Other times you're reading and it says you will be saved. Other times you're reading and it says you are being saved. Have been, am being, will be, right? And you're like, well, which is it, past, present, or future? And the answer is yes. When you turn to Christ, when a sinner turns to Christ, you're saved in the past tense. We call that justification. You are saved from the penalty of sin. You will not go to hell when you die. Received as a gift from our glorious, gracious God. Good gift, gracious gift, right? In the present tense, sin only has the power I give it through poor choices. We call this sanctification, right? I love that hymn that says, He has broken the power of canceled sin. He really has taken the chains off of you that held you when you become a Christian. But if you make a dumb, stupid, sinful choice, and then you make another one, another one, another one, and don't repent of that, well, what happens? Uh, you feel the gunk, right? You feel, you feel, it's not that you've lost your salvation, you're just not making the most of your faith. I love this shirt. It's a new shirt. If I wore it every day this week and slept in it every night and then came back to you next week, you could smell me from the doors, right? Uh, wouldn't be anything wrong with the shirt. I just hadn't laundered it. Nothing wrong with the salvation we have. We need to take care of it. We need to cherish it. We need to launder it. And we need to do our spiritual laundry through confession of sin, through reading the Bible, applying it in our life, keeping a tender heart where we say yes to God, not no to God, where we fellowship with other believers like you're doing now, where we um, get involved in praying as individuals and out loud with each other, praising God together too, learning your spiritual gifts, using them in some type of ministry to advance the gospel of Christ. All of those things are critical in what God's doing in your heart and life now, what we call sanctification. That's present tense. The future tense, you'll be saved from the very presence of sin when you die. That's called glorification. Isn't that neat? that the moment a believer leaves their body, they're better off than they've ever been, whether they die at 25 or 85, right? They will never be better off than uh, that moment when all of a sudden they're free from the present sin in this life and they're looking forward to all God's going to do in the future on a new earth, but it's just all perfect with God, relationship with Jesus right there with Him, right? How wonderful that is. We feel sorry for us and we grieve when loved ones die that knew the Lord, but man, them, they don't want to come back. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're experiencing their eternal reward and then some. It's on the way and more is to come. The best is yet to come. So, um, now, what do you think um, in verse 21, which tense do you think he's referring to? The past tense, the present tense, or the future tense of salvation, when he says, receive with meekness that implanted word, the word that's already inside, which is able to save your souls. I think he's talking about the present tense right now. So he's not talking about an issue of losing your salvation. 
if you don't, you know, receive and, and uh, work, uh, uh, you know, uh, follow by faith what he's instructing you from the word. He's talking about this present tense, making the most of your salvation. So I, I think I'm on to something there, and I really like H.A. Ironside. He said, the salvation of the soul here is not our redemption from the judgment our sins deserve, but it refers to the purification of our affections, which are the expression of our soul's activities. Now, if we needed to know that for sure, he explains it in verses 22, 23, and 24, right? Uh, he says, be doers of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. One who hears and doesn't do is like a man who looks in the mirror, but forgets what he looks like right away. Now, we're used to really good mirrors. They had cloudy mirrors, right? Uh, so they had to really study their face in there. And if they had, you know, they had to look and say, okay, is there anything hanging out of my teeth, you know, or is my hair growing in my ears or something like that? They had to really look and then act on it when they went away. And they might have even had so few mirrors that they, you know, had to, uh, okay, I've only got a few minutes to study and look at it. I need to remember that so I can act on it. And then I'll give it to David who will give it to Ronnie and so forth and so on, right? Um, so they would look intently in and they'd need to act on that. And it would be foolish for them to not act on what they had seen if their hair was unkempt or there was something green in their teeth or whatever or something like that. So think about it like this. When you spend time in the Word and then go tell a lie, you have forgotten who you are. That's what he's getting at right here. The Word showed us what needs to be addressed. Um, the mirror shows us what needs to be, so does the Word. The Word says, speak truth, not lies. Speak to build up, not to slander, to tear down, right? But if you spend time in the Word and then a temptation to lie comes, and you remember what the Word said and tell the truth in, instead, you've done the Word, right? You, you haven't forgotten it, you've done it. And so the mirror, the Word is like a mirror. Now, there's many analogies for the Bible. This is a really cool one to add to the list, isn't it? It's kind of like a mirror. Uh, it reveals to you what you need to get worked on and stuff, right? Which is pretty cool. So, or let's make it about anger. You've spent time in the Word, and then you turn on the news, and something makes you angry. And that's happening a lot these days, isn't it? Something makes you angry. If you rail about that all day rather than what you learned in the Word, you've forgotten who you are. And your angry outbursts may actually keep some people from ever listening to you share about Jesus. And I can almost guarantee one of my main regrets as a parent is all the time I was railing about something and I didn't realize how much my kids were listening. And I wasted a lot of good edifying time by railing about stuff that in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter at all, right? Um, and I have a deep regret about that. So if you instead spend time in the Word, you can think big, biblically about what you come across. And you can give it to the Lord in prayer, and you can carefully craft the best God-honoring way to address others. At the end of the day, does it matter what we think? <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize how little what I think matters and how much more I understand what God says is what matters. What God says is about, about things is what matters. I want my thoughts and actions to align with God's Word. Pastor James is giving them a very practical way to think about it with the mirror. James literally is calling his church member to be doer, a doer who does. Each church member, I want you to be a doer who does the Word. That's the way the Word lays out. A doer who does. Do you want to be a doer who does? <laughs> or a forgetter who forgets? Let's be doers who do, does, do, whatever. What's the reward for all this? Well, verse 25 tells us. 
He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, a doer who does, this one will be blessed in what he or she does. So, we're only 25 verses into James, and he's given us two beautiful blessings. Verse 12 said, there's a reward in heaven for those who continue to love God amidst their earthly trials. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, if your love for God continues to grow in the midst of it, He's got a crown of life for you. Every believer gets eternal life. He's going to crown some believers with the crown of life because of their love showing through even during the hardest things they face. But verse 25 says there's also a blessing now, right, on earth for those who do what God says. It might not be a material blessing. It might not be a physical blessing. Uh, it might not be the restoration of a relationship that you want restored or something like that. But having God's peace and presence as you go through the things of this life isn't just for heaven later. It helps you get through the days now. His peace, His presence. I love how James calls the Bible the law of liberty. It's the law of the new man, the man free in Christ. And that squares beautifully with what Paul wrote in Galatians 5. We said it two, twice on Sunday in the morning and the evening at my house. For you brothers have been called to liberty. Jerry Falwell used to like to say that, didn't he? You've been called to liberty university. No. Um, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So God has blessed his children with the gift of the new birth. He wants to bless them even more every day as they trust and obey. Like the hymn says, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's pray. And then Joy will lead us through the prayer list. Father, thank you so much for the book of James and how practical Pastor James is. Thank you, Lord, for just the um, ways that you've already blessed us. We affirm that every good gift in our life, every perfect gift has come to us from you. And you would never uh, tempt us to sin. Instead, you're out to bless us. You're not out to get us. You're out to bless us. Thank you for that wonderful truth. Lord, I thank you for the truth that uh, you have a purpose and plan, and you want more of us than we've given to you previously, Lord. You want to have us trust you and obey your word. You want us to look into the word and apply it to our life, Lord God. And particularly with these words that James has already given us about anger and about speech, Lord God. May our love for you be reflected in the way that we speak as well as the way that we act. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.